This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. G'day, I've got a great guest with me today for the episode, and he is Dr. Richard Matthews, who we've had on the show several times. He's one of my favorite guests, and uh, he's the author of The Symbiont Factor. Richard, my friend, how are you today? Doing great. It's good to see you. Yes, it is. Uh, We're on the same time zone now as I'm over here in Florida, so this makes it a little bit easier, and one of us don't have to be under one sort of like weird looking fluorescent light to be able to chat. <laughs> we did do some late night sessions. <laughs> now, you're a very, very intelligent man who's published some incredible work on some complex things. And so, wow. and thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, to recap what I've told you on a number of occasions in the past, when I was originally reading The Symbiont Factor, I kept having these like eureka moments where I was going, no way, no way. And I'm reading it like that. And I, and one of the eureka moments I was having was how you referenced everything you said so that I could then go and grab that reference and incorporate it into a lot of the work that I was doing. And so you really gave me these nuggets of joy when I was reading your book because of the work that I was, the, the path that I was and still am. So, uh, so the reason I'm recapping that is not just to, to as part of the introduction, but the audience might say, well, well, why did you bring on Dr. Richard Matthews to talk about oats? But there's a lot more to oats than what we might just glance over at the supermarket, isn't Absolutely. there? There's a lot we can talk Absolutely. about. Absolutely. There, there is. Uh, oats are, are a very old food. They're thought to be one of the first grains that, that people farmed um, and, and not just things that people picked. There are a lot of different proteins in oats. Uh, they're gluten-free technically, although the, the molecule that's in oats that would be sort of uh, analogous to the gluten in wheat is called an avenin or avenin. But it, it's not nearly as reactive to the immune system, so they're far, far safer to eat, even for people that are sensitive to gluten. There's occasionally a person who's sensitive to oats, but very often it's because they're not really reacting to the oats, but they bought oats that are uh, not organic and they're reacting to the chemicals on them. Well, that's That a, can happen also. That's a really interesting point, and in fact something that only came to my attention recently when I attended Veggie Fest in Chicago, and I was there, and I was uh, actually at one point, just through some uh, coincidental circumstances, sitting next to the creator and owner of Nature's Path. The uh, oh wow, yeah, the very very successful and large sort of grocery chain. Uh, you would say, would you say grocery cereals and groceries and yeah, they make all sorts yes. of yeah breakfast cereals and bars and all that sort of stuff. Now, we had a discussion about his oats, and I said to him, so, you know, tell us about your gluten-free oats, and then you've got non-gluten-free oats. And he said, it's all just the way that they're farmed, because he said to me that the oats themselves are gluten-free, but if you only get a small amount of cross-contamination from 
a wheat crop that's next next to it, and then it's natural that the wind blows and some of the the head of the grains fly across from the farm and into the oat crop. And then when it gets harvested, some of those grains end up mixed in with the oats. Then you cannot say that that box of cereal is gluten-free. And that was how he explained it to me. It's interesting. It is interesting. And that type of, of presence of gluten likely defines the difference between a patient or a person who has true celiac disease and someone who is gluten sensitive. People right. with celiac disease may have to avoid gluten down to the molecular level, let's say. Yep. Whereas the rest of us that are merely gluten sensitive, a molecule or two of gluten is is not going to trigger the same level of response. Uh, usually, wouldn't even notice it. So, gluten. Uh, I mean, oats have a lot of items in them, like lipids, beta glucans that. One of the benefits of oats is that the beta-glucans in oats will feed beneficial gut bacteria. So they're, they're actually somewhat of a superfood for your gut bacteria. And uh, much of the research on oats and their health benefit was conducted using fermented oats. So I thought it's, it's worth mentioning the difference between the two, if oats are good for you one way or the other. Uh, and if you eat oats that are not fermented, they can certainly convey all of the benefits, but it's a bit more dependent on whether or not your gut has sufficient good bacteria to benefit from the feeding. In other words, if you eat the oats, but the bacteria that really should thrive on oats and would be fermenting the oats, if you don't have any of those, you may not see the health benefit of the oats. Uh, They may actually not really work for you at that point uh, until you build up enough of those bacteria. So sometimes over time, the effect improves. Okay. So just to repeat back so we all understand is that we've got a couple of ways of eating the oats. We've got a fermented approach or we've got an approach that probably nine out of 10 people take where they buy it from the store. They uh, apply the hot water to just the regular oats out of the packet. Uh, and right. eat it and eat it that way or boil it, whatever. And then, but you're also saying that there's an aspect here where if people don't have any of the healthy gut bacteria that does the fermentation of the oats, then they don't digest it well at all because that oats really uh, won't be fermented or m- metabolized by those bacteria. Let's talk about the first part of that first. Can you actually just go through the basics of? What would fermented oats look like? How would we ferment our oats or get fermented oats? Well, generally, the way that you ferment oats is you take dry oats and you mix them with something that provides a bacterial culture that's going to start the fermentation process, starter culture, if you will. The way that I do it is generally to mix in um, some kefir or kefir with the oats and then some additional milk or coconut milk. I usually use coconut milk. and then let it sit at room temperature or a tiny bit above for two or even three days, usually with some cheesecloth or a, a dish towel or a plate over it to keep uh, you know small insects and house dust and whatnot out of it. But uh, two or three days of fermentation, and what you're doing with that is you're taking a known beneficial bacteria and just feeding the daylights out of it so that you get a big superculture that contains many, many more of those beneficial bacteria. So the same process happens internally, but it's a bit harder to control internally. 
because all the bacteria in, that live inside the gut can have a go at it. You may be feeding something you really didn't want to feed, whereas when you do it in a bowl, you can add exactly what you want or quite close to it. Um, it's fascinating also that it, uh, you would think leaving food out for two or three days might make it spoil or something, but the longer you leave it within reason, uh, the, the better it seems to be. The bacteria actually inhibits anything from coming in and trying to decompose it. Which is one of the more old-fashioned or original methods of preserving food, isn't it? It is. It is. Mm. Uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, <laughs> perhaps, yeah. it might have been discovered by accident. Like, oh, you yeah. left this out, but, you know, <laughs> it's pretty good. I feel good when I eat it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, yeah. yes, if, if I have quite a few patients that I've done a, a microbiome study. They send a stool specimen in and yep. a lab does a, a sequence on it to see what their gut bacteria consists of. Mm -hmm. And they have no lactobacillus whatsoever, 0.00%. Wow. So wow. generally now, something like oats is a wonderful prebiotic. So if you have at least a little bit of the good guys in there, you'll feed them and they grow in the gut, basically ferment. Uh, but if there aren't any, you, you may not see that effect at all. In which case, it's it's good to at least sometimes do some fermented oats. I, for example, I don't have fermented oats on a daily basis, but typically a few days a month. Oh, I'll make right. a couple batches of it a month. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe every two weeks, I'll make a big bowl of it, and it'll last me two or three days. Uh, or I'll take a third of it, mix it up with uh, you know some cut-up apple and a couple tablespoons of maple syrup and uh, maybe some cinnamon and just mix it up and eat it. Wow. Wow. That is sensational. And when I reached out to you to help me with this research, I actually didn't know that you ate fermented oats or that you incorporated oats at all into your diet. I, you know, we haven't yeah. sort of delved too much into that, that personal stuff, but that's fascinating. Then it, this was that, just the ideal compatible, <laughs> you know, compatibility there with, uh, with having you help me with this stuff. Absolutely. Now, where, Here's a couple of questions then. Before we get back to the, uh, the all the benefits of oats, with, and, and I'll tell my story in just a second to really drive home the importance that I place on reintroducing oats at some point into your diet, whether you've got you know, rheumatoid arthritis or any other you know, gut disorder that presents as some kind of external symptoms. I just wanted a little bit more detail around how people can create these fermented oats because can you easily buy a kefir starter culture from a health food store? Question number one. And question number two, can it be done by taking regular probiotics out of a capsule and pouring it in and then mixing it up? It definitely can be done with either yogurt or kefir, but kefir is easier to work with and it has more bacteria typically than yogurt does. Plus it's liquid, so it mixes better. I have taken a probiotic capsule and dump the contents into the fermentation. All it seems to really do is make it ferment faster. Oh, but it does, huh? But by the time you get a big bowl of it fermented, there's actually quite a bit more bacteria than there is in the capsule. Sure. So I, I think you're just speeding up the process um, by doing that. If someone were con concerned about just all of the different species and they wanted to restrict it to just a couple, that might be one way to do it so that you're your probiotic capsule has really a short list of known species, whereas what we call a wild fermentation when you, uh, well, it's not really wild because you're adding kefir and that's somewhat known, 
But fermentations of oats have been found to have over a thousand different species and strains of lactobacillus. And that diversity of adding lactobacillus is part of what gives it a lot more power because uh, they each have, they, they each bring their own strengths to the team of the microbiome, if you will. Yes, yes. That's a bit yes. of a recurrent theme with the microbiome is that uh, diversity is good and improves the resilience of your gut bacteria, whether that's resilience to, uh, you know, if you're one of the people that becomes ill, if you had some questionable buffet food, or or if you're one of the people that's unaffected by such things most of the time, or yep. uh, if you catch the, the stomach bug that goes around in a, in a group of people that work together or live together, there's always somebody that doesn't catch it. Yeah. Generally, they're the person that has a more robust and diverse microbiome, and it, it can inhibit infections far better. Same thing with antibiotics. Occasionally, people get in a situation where they, they feel they have to take antibiotics. Uh, in this part of the world, it's very often Lyme disease because it's quite prevalent in New England. Area. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Just a few miles from here is considered one of the epicenters of it. It's one really? Of instances of Lyme disease. Wow. Yep. And when people take antibiotics, some of them do quite well and don't really see a lot of side effects. And some people within a day or two will have uncontrollable diarrhea and start to feel truly ill. Yeah. Generally, those are the people whose microbiome was really not very healthy at all. Mm-hmm. They lose a little bit because of the antibiotic and they're, they're in a danger zone. Then. Yeah, yeah, right. No, kind of not enough, uh, not enough backup. Yes, yes. There's no reserve capacity for mm. it. Same mm-hmm. thing happens when someone's in a hospital and they acquire a hospital-borne infection like C. diff, Clostridium difficile, which uh, is well-named. It's very difficile, very difficult to, uh, to get rid of once you have that infection. Mm-hmm. And uh, people that have a weaker microbiome are probably much more prone to getting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, not, it's not very common as far as the risk factor, but... Uh, the number of people that get those infections is quite high. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. always good to keep your microbiome healthy because oh, you yeah. don't know what's around. <laughs> exactly. It's like insurance, isn't it? I, it, I think, it is. Yeah. It is. Every time I eat you know, more salad, more oatmeal, for instance, you do feel like you're putting uh, uh, money in the insurance bank. So you're not going to run dry anytime soon. That's true. And we could call that true health care because you're actually taking care of your health before you get a disease. Perfect. Perfect. That's, that's, I love that. Uh, so now, can I just explore a little further? Because just for the interest's sake, the, these patients that you have who you sometimes find have no lactobacillus range, do you also observe a greater degree of symptoms with those people that match? off with the worst lactobacillus range of bacteria? Yes, actually, I I do. One of the things that I see often is anxiety. And one of the things that lactobacillus in the microbiome has has been attributed with, it was actually one of the first findings that gut bacteria can influence brain function, which is quite a hot topic now, but 20 years ago, it was sort of a back lab mumbling, like, wow, look at this. Um, But uh, lactobacillus has been found to change the brain sensitivity to the neurotransmitter GABA, gamma amino butyric acid, 
and GABA is your brain's primary inhibitory neurotransmitter. So whether the thing you need to inhibit is a recurrent thought of uh, doom and gloom and anxiety that once it's in your mind, it, it kind of ricochets around and burns up energy and drives you crazy and keeps you from sleeping, or if it's uh, the inability to attenuate sounds so that you're just very easily distracted and overwhelmed and fatigued by high noise environments. Sometimes it's the inability to attenuate other people's voices so you can focus on one voice in a, in a crowd, something that humans are especially good at doing or should be, but sometimes when we lose that, even hearing aids really don't work. Anyway, an example would be, extreme example would be uh, an autistic child because stimulations that normal or, or non-autistic people don't even perceive can be very, very overwhelming and fatiguing to a child with autism. Uh, I've been told by some of them as, as they uh, develop to the point of articulating it, that even normal fluorescent lights at 60 hertz seem like more of a strobe light to them, or as someone else perceives it as just light. Uh, but if, if you were in a room with a constant strobe light, like at a party, it would mm. really wear you out. Mm. So your brain's uh, inhibitory neurotransmitter is GABA. And uh, pain is also one of the things that is dampened by GABA. That's why we, uh, we see people that use drugs like gabapentin, uh, Lyrica, when they have neuropathic pain, perhaps from diabetes because it mimics the effect of GABA, although it doesn't do a particularly good job of it, in my opinion, but it is how it works. Now, lactobacillus changes the sensitivity of the brain neurotransmitter receptors to GABA, so it, it makes your brain more sensitive to it. But it makes GABA work better in the parts of your brain that deal with emotions or sounds, and it makes your frontal lobes less sensitive to GABA. Your frontal lobes are what you would use for self-direction and conscious decision to block something out or to, uh, to focus on a task. So it makes your frontal lobes work better and it suppresses all of the things that would otherwise distract frontal lobe. So it's a very differential effect that you don't get with a drug. If you right. take a drug that just use GABA, well, it does so in the frontal lobe also. And that's why sometimes we see a bit of a, a a dulling effect uh, where people just really don't feel very, very well, but they have too much GABA in frontal lobes too. Well, you know, I got, and a lot of people get this thing called brain fog when we have the, yeah. you know, these drugs. Yes. So, well, that's fascinating, which ties really nicely in. Did you mention before up to 1,000 different strains of lactobacillus is created yes. by, by yes. oats? I mean, this is phenomenal. So I hope people are enjoying this so far. Let me now, just before we move on to the rest of the oats discussion, just uh, recap, if people haven't heard me tell this story before, and I know that you haven't, Richard, I was extremely good throughout my healing process to only change one thing at a time. And this enabled me to identify the cause every time of either an improvement or a setback. Now, Excellent. there was one exception to this that I uh, lament. And it was when I was nine-tenths of the way healed, I had been sort of uh, plateaued at that point for a long time, six or nine months. I couldn't get rid of what I call the smoldering of the, 
of the uh, inflammation in some of my joints. So just a little bit there just wouldn't go away. Just this little bit smoldering, couple of the little finger joints, a little bit in the right elbow. And then I broke one of my own long-term rules and I did three things at once. I started having oats for breakfast and because I wasn't having them, I think with any sugar or something, uh, I forget I forget exactly why, but I decided that I would have orange juice, fresh orange juice with my oats just to accompany the oats. And I started taking potassium supplementation. Now, in the literature, the rheumatoid, deep in the bowels of the rheumatoid literature, there's a couple of studies that really show fabulous results for both mineral supplementation and also a separate study specifically potassium supplementation in relieving rheumatoid arthritis symptoms on a on a significant sample of of people in a study and so this ties into my whole people are becoming you know over acidified by their diets and this this helps to uh, lower the um, the acid levels in the uh, the non blood parts of the fluids in the body and also there seems to be a, particularly with potassium a link between potassium and cortisol production so people get natural pain relief however let's just put that aside the point of this story is that i did those three things at once and week to week i slowly watched that final bit of smolder disappear that had been with me for a good part of a year and it was the final frontier and if we look at what those three things are yeah maybe the potassium helped but i think you know, it's always the food, isn't it? It's always the food when we come it back is. to. And I put, I'm confident that uh, almost all of the, the outcome or the results that I got was from the oats. And then when I asked you to help me with this research, it's because anecdotally, I kept seeing people once they would get onto oats in our support group, they would then make faster progress. And so it dovetails perfectly with my experience. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a fascinating food. And I think I would say it's probably the most important food to graduate onto after people have been following the early stages of our program for a while, when people can then find that they can tolerate oats without increasing their pain. The future looks so much brighter over the coming, coming, uh, months. And the metaphor nice. that I gave to you, and I know that you've got lots to say and I'm doing a lot of talking, but the metaphor that I used um, just before we, we started recording was that, you know, it feels like in the early stages you, you're stuck out in the ocean and you're swimming around and, and, and you're just trying to make progress. But then as you get closer to shore and you've become a stronger swimmer and you've made progress, then when you catch a wave and the wave brings you to shore, that is the effect that the oats can have, <laughs> right? That's what I feel. That's what I That's feel. It's just so fitting considering <laughs> that you're from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you've got to get out of the water quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so let's, uh, let's just, for people who are just wondering, can we still get great effects if we're not fermenting our oats, can we still get wonderful effects? Let's say we've got some uh, lactobacillus strains in our gut. We're still going to do well, aren't we? Yes, yes. Uh, certainly if the lactobacillus is in the gut, or for that matter, even if it isn't, if you took a lactobacillus uh, probiotic, 
probiotic, including that, you know, just before or after you eat the oats, that would almost certainly raise the chances that you're going to get some of the uh, the prebiotic effects of the oats as it feeds the bacteria in the capsule. One of the issues with just taking a probiotic by itself is if it's a bit of a catch-22 where uh, if the organism could survive in your current situation, it would already be there. And and if it isn't surviving, there's a reason. Sometimes that reason is diet. You're not eating anything that, that it would feed on, so it doesn't succeed. So when you take a probiotic and you also take a prebiotic along with it, you know, you're you're sending in the troops and you're also sending in enough supplies so they can actually do something. Awesome. Uh, that that works better. It's also one of the keys to colonization. There's there's been a lot of written and, and a lot of talk about whether probiotics actually result in gut colonization. Yeah. And, uh, some people feel quite strongly it does. Some people feel quite strongly it doesn't. And as often is the case, it depends on the details, depends on the circumstances. If a person has a ridiculously stressful lifestyle, their gut function may be so abnormal that it still may not really be as easy to achieve colonization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to look at what some of the gut bacteria do, particularly in their effects on the immune system and the brain and the HPA axis, which we'll get to in a minute. Essentially, whatever the dominant organisms are, alter the host's metabolism and, and activity to suit them. So mm-hmm. lactobacillus tends to promote GABA function, which is very common. And in fact, that was one of the first studies. So this researcher, Tillish, gave pairs of women something to talk about and yogurt. And she gave them either the control yogurt, which had was sterile, it had no bacteria in it, oh, yeah. or the experiment yogurt, which had lactobacillus, you know, active cultures in it. Yeah. And she documented that the tone of their conversation was significantly more calm when they had uh, lactobacillus in the yogurt, which is interesting also because it shows you how fast the effects can really happen. So the, the point of that is that Lactobacillus mm. tries to create mm-hmm. a calm environment by affecting the brain, for example, affecting neurotransmitter function, because that changes gut function to suit it. Other bacteria may have an opposite effect, and so we consider them not mm-hmm. quite so good. So yeah. it works also externally. So mm-hmm. if a person is is always in a very stressful environment, that makes their body less hospitable to lactobacillus. Right. Interesting. So you know, it's 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 both serves and uh, and right and receives sort of thing. That may also be why f- some people find they benefit quite a bit from not that much lactobacillus, and some people need like the mother load of lactobacillus before they start to see any progress. Well, that uh, was that probably applies to most of our audience that we we've got right now. I don't know. I, I never had a stool sample before. Uh, and after, in fact, I've never had a, a, an analysis done on my stool. But I'd love to; it'd be a fun thing to do. We've talked about that in the past. You've recommended yeah. me to go and do that, but no, I don't have a before case. But I do encourage anyone who has a little bit of budget to be able to go and get that done uh, as an analysis tool. And uh, you've actually uh, encouraged me to encourage others to do that uh, with UBiome, which you put us in contact with on one of our earlier conversations. Yes. 
Yes. Let's talk. I've got some notes next to some of the research compilation that you did. I've got highlights around some of the most important things in the gut healing process. Mucosal lining restoration, bacteria improvements and diversity, and we've covered that. And then we've got leaky gut. Now, that so the, the study uh, towards the top, when it talks about a good amino acid profile high in glutamine, which helps heal the intestinal mucosa. That's really exciting. It is. It is. That is uh, the intestinal mucosa is the site of uh, data interchange, if you will, between the immune system and the gut bacteria. It's sort of where the immune system gets a lot of its uh, programming, if you will, mission profile, if it were uh, a military force or something. And because of that, the integrity of the mucus layer is quite important. Uh, so for anybody who's fighting chronic inflammation, healing the mucosa of the intestine is, is a good logical step to start getting a handle on it. It's a bit surprising to know that, that the gut uh, has that much to do with yeah. immune system control and uh, perhaps brings things back to brings the topic back to the importance of food when you see that gut-associated lymphoid tissue or GALT is such a huge part of immune control um, and yet it's directly influenced by what we eat. So there yeah. you are. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's like cannot be ignored. It's right there, isn't no. it? No, it is. It's, uh, so yes, uh, glutamine is very central to that. Uh, mm-hmm. In acute cases, I've used glutamine in capsule form. Yes. But actually, if you're getting it in your breakfast, it's, uh, <laughs> you're getting more and, and probably more uh, bioavailable than what can be provided in a capsule. Always better if you can get it from your food. Absolutely. And I've, I've uh, answered the question about whether or not someone should take L-glutamine as a supplement many, many times. And my answer is, the studies seem to support that it's healthy for the gut, and so I can't yes. I can't see a downside. And and yet I then follow that up by saying, but I've actually never had a client add L-glutamine as a supplement without sort of changing anything else and telling me that they significantly improved. I, I personally, in my experience, haven't seen that yet. But nor have I seen someone do worse. And so I say, look again, if you've if you've got a a little bit of a spare budget, you know, it, it might be worth adding. Sure. You would that agree with good. that? Yeah. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about down the page a little more. It says um, in in this paragraph down down towards here, you've got uh, some great some great stuff here that you've uh, pulled from the literature. Fermented oats also help in the absorption of iron, which is wonderful. Uh whilst reducing intestinal permeability. And then how about what follows then, which is that it prevents the bacterial translocation by potentially a huge amount. Now talk about this part of your findings. Well, um, bacterial translocation is when uh, bacteria or bacterial proteins, typically LPS or lipopolysaccharides, pass through the intestinal membrane. And those are such potent uh, inflammatory agents, LPS. It's it's so potently pro-inflammation that it's actually used as uh, an injectable inflammatory 
in, in research to, to see how well an organism can deal with inflammation. If you want to make something inflamed pretty quickly, you inject it with lipopolysaccharides. Which uh, are just bacteria, right? Well, it's bacteria or pieces of bacterial outer shells. Uh, typically, it's broken pieces of bacteria, not entire bacteria. Wow, wow. But, so, uh, right, okay. It's the lining around is it containing the proteins. Yes, yes. Right. And the problem really is the intestinal permeability. And uh, intestines, the intestinal wall is designed to selectively let some molecules in and keep others out. And it's, it's a very highly regulated process. But when the intestinal wall becomes damaged from inflammation, from eating bad food, from being too stressed, usually a combination of those, um, an altered bad microbiome, then it becomes quite porous and things pass through it that really should not have. Lipopolysaccharide is a good example of that. But it can also happen with molecules of food. Yeah. And that is thought to be the mechanism behind acquiring food sensitivities mm -hmm. uh, or food allergies even. So even after liver resection surgery, the, the study that I, that I quoted there, um, which is a very major surgery, fermented oats still prevented bacterial translocation uh, by 90%, which is amazing. Uh, honestly, it begs the question of why people that are going to have surgery aren't told to beef up on their fermented foods. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the medical profession uh, is perhaps a bit behind the curve as far as applying any of the microbiome concepts. Sure, uh, sure. It doesn't go through the normal chain of command, if you will, uh, product supply line. And uh, some of these concepts are relatively new compared to how long some of the, the core concepts of medicine have been. So mm. who knows how long it'll be before doctors routinely tell you to eat your fermented oats because you got a surgery scheduled next week. Uh, <laughs> Could be a while. The, the researcher who's done most of the, the research on that is named Stig Bengmark. And uh, he is a liver surgeon, or was, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. I hope he is. I believe if I remember correctly, he was practicing in Argentina as a liver surgeon. And he was one of the first uh, to document the differences in hospital-acquired infection or, or reinfection after uh, surgery, infection, infection as a complication after surgery, in people that did not get probiotics versus people who did. Yeah. He, he notes that the enteral feeding that patients were given in their feeding tubes was typically mostly sugar mm -hmm. and did not include any fiber to feed bacteria and didn't include any probiotics. Um, and he actually... Um, I guess they don't have a lot of, of liability attorneys in, in Argentina. He just went ahead and altered the substance and added the prebiotic fiber and the probiotics to the feeding tubes, and his yeah. patients did better. Wow. But from yeah. what I read in his studies, none of the other surgeons followed suit. He documented that he, he had like one-third the rate of complications uh, yeah. as the yeah. other surgeons. But, yeah. uh, they, they, I guess, did not think very much of it or stuck to what they had always done. It's interesting. Um, maybe it was a supply chain issue. And uh, where did I recently have this discussion? Wow. Well, it's basically 
doing research on a live patient. Well, with, well that's uh, right. That's right. Which is just yeah. a limited consent. So <laughs> I'm sure there are ethical boundaries that had to be crossed for him to do that. That probably plays a role in why the others yeah. just said, ah, maybe yeah, not. Exactly. <laughs> But the point is that it works. <laughs> and on top of that, I think what happens is these hospital organizations, which are just businesses, have long-term supply contracts with they the- do. Right? And so it's logistics, right? They might have a 10-year supply with the sugar that goes into the, the, the sugar packets that get hung up and feed you with your glucose or whatever. And, uh, you know, it might be hard to terminate those kind of contracts with this untested- you know, clearly beneficial but untested approach. It's also a huge difference in shelf life, I imagine, because That's one right. is a yeah. is not live and the other is a live product. So We're getting closer to it now. It's starting to talk a financial. Sort of logistic yeah. nightmare there, <laughs> but um, you know, if it, if it were me having the surgery, I, I would find a way. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> because of who I am. Uh, have we left anything out? Have we got? Do you think that the we've oats, appropriately? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things. Yeah, uh, the oats even help protect from harmful effects of a high-fat diet. Uh, fermentation increases the polyphenols and antioxidants that are available, and and those also have been found to reduce the effects of of RA. Uh, I should note a correction. Uh-huh. These happen from time to time. One of those paragraphs that I wrote said. Uh, incorrectly that I interleukin 10 is reduced. But in, in fact, I misstated that because, uh, and I'll send you the correction. Mm-hmm. I just, I see you know, the, I see the point there. Yep. It was a study by Wilsack and, uh, I actually looked at the entire study and interleukin 10 is anti-inflammatory. I, I knew that, but it got glumped in with the others. The, the, um, beta glucans from the oats, raise the level of interleukin 10 and that's part of how it reduces inflammation because interleukin 10 is actually anti-inflammatory and and other aspects of microbiome will boost the production of interleukin 10 it's uh, something that i've exploited sometimes with uh, lyme disease patients mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. lyme disease is characterized by lots and lots of inflammation similar to rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. and in fact some Sometimes it looks very yes, similar. Yes, yes. I, I, uh, I confront that from time to time. People say the doctor wasn't sure whether it was that or that. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you do. So really there, there are several different levels of benefit just to, to summarize that um, and makes oats really a very accessible, convenient food. Um, there's not much to fermenting it, but certainly just making sure that the needed bacteria are there in one form or another. Yes. Either. It would be the, the critical factor to, to reap the most benefits from the oats. And you know what? That's just gave me like a sudden light bulb moment. Maybe that's why it takes a while for people to be able to graduate, to be able to eat the oats because... Absolutely. May, right? Because I load them up on greens like crazy for a while. And foods that are really simple to digest, like buckwheat and quinoa, which are also alkalizing and just, just you know, non-sort of reactive because they're just seeds, so they're not, they're not grains. Right. And then maybe as the gut bacteria reach threshold, then 
they have the fermentation capacity to be able to then handle the oats. What are your thoughts on that? That's perfectly logical. That's exactly what I was thinking would, would be the mechanism. There's a point where the right things are eating the oats, mostly lactobacillus. Right. And uh, lactobacillus is a bit of a gatekeeper in the gut also, in that it inhibits the growth of a great number of harmful or not very good bacteria. And uh, as soon as you can get the lactobacillus levels up to where they should be, there's very often a reduction in various symptoms because now it, the lactobacillus is inhibiting the growth of a lot of organisms that might otherwise promote inflammation. Right. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a great way to, uh, to close on a high. That's what you're meant to do in stand-up. You're meant to open with your best joke and end with your second best joke. <laughs> 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 and I think we've done that. Fantastic. So, yeah. So, um, wow. A little. That's an insight for me there. It's been interesting because I thought it may have had to do, we know that oats are slightly acidifying, nothing compared to like meat, dairy products, particularly the, the shellfish end of the acidification spectrum. But they're slightly more acidifying than, say, you know, your potatoes, or your sweet potatoes, buckwheat and quinoa and things. And I thought that it might have had to do in my earlier uh, conclusions on the acid-forming effects of oaks because we do notice that some people, when they start to take them, they take a little while uh, and then after maybe a week or two, they find they drop them again for a day or two, reset back to baseline, then reintroduce them again. And I've described that as a, as a bit of a creep, almost like as though the acidity levels in the body are just creeping a little bit. But I think that that, that might not necessarily be as accurate as just the, what we just described a moment ago. I, I actually mm, starting to feel that that's more of a, uh, an, an accurate description of what's that happening. Oats uh, help people to improve their health and get their lactobacillus going. Um, it's, it's good to test to know what you're doing if it's possible. I have a coupon on my website that reduces the cost of one of those Ubiome kits. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll pass that across. Um, and what's your web address? And also, are you still doing the Skype consultations? Because I know that that was popular last time we uh, yes. we spoke. Um, how yes, can people contact you? My website is neurodoc4u.com, yep. N-E-U-R-O-D-O-C, number four and letter u.com. And the best email to reach me is doc at neurodoc4u.com. Beautiful. Okay. Well, I'll post those onto the transcription that I put onto the page where we host this podcast episode. I hope everyone's been inspired to want to get to a point where they can eat oats again, because I feel that, uh, you know, it's so, so clear the evidence uh, behind eating oats. I do, to recap again, what I uh, said at the top of this conversation, feel that it is one of the most important milestones in, in our diet that we, we should be trying to reach and be able to eat oats. And even if it means having to, after a few weeks of eating them, uh, reset occasionally back to the baseline foods, eliminate the oats just for a day or two, if they are causing you a little more pain, um, and then resume exactly uh, where you're at, uh, at the beginning of that reset, and just see if we can get them back into your diet. Because once they're back in the diet, I mean, we you have just gone through uh, a couple of pages of reasons for gut health that will translate to symptom relief for people with rheumatoid. So thank you so Very much, good. Richard. This has been fun You're as always. So well. 
It's fun as always for me too. It's nice to have you in the US of A. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get taken out by hurricanes, so I'm still doing what I'm doing. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so thank Keep you, and up. we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk again. We've got you and I have worked behind the scenes on some other research projects, and I uh, look forward to uh, having you back on to talk about those. Thank you, Clint. I look forward to it as well. Best of luck to everybody that follows you for their health. You've been listening to the Pattison Program. For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.